Good morning. My name is Steve McCoy. I am uh, the pastor here at 360, and we're thrilled that you're here. It's a very special day, significant day for us. We are, uh, after this service, we're going to fold right into a baptism service. Did you see anything big and blue when you came in the door? <laughs> so, um, any rate, baptism service right after that, youth swim party at 1.30, just so you know. <laughs> no diving. That's what I'm <laughs> So at uh, any rate, we're thrilled today. We're going to have a whole group of people make a significant step in their life that says very similar to what we would say in marriage. Um, when, I, when people ask, what's baptism and what's, what is it all about? I say, you know, you see this ring that is on my finger. It's not magical. It won't keep me married. There's no chain attached to this ring. It's a free will that I put it on and free will that I can take it off. And so when we um, go through the waters of baptism, it's like you're dating Christ. You're finding all about what He is. And you begin to learn more and more about what that means. And we know today you're going to hear me say a lot. We can know a lot about God. But there's a vast difference between that and knowing God. I can know a lot about a, a girl, um, about my wife before I married her. And we begin to ask questions. What's she like? What are her, her favorite movies? What are the things that, where are the places that she likes to go? And then you begin to date. And you think you know each other. <laughs> and then you say, I do. I will. You say, yes. And then you put a ring on your finger. And then you, you begin to know that person rather than know about them. Today, um, in our gathering, I'm going to talk to those who are going to get baptized. And baptism is not a private thing. It's a public thing. It's the whole point. That's why you say, see my ring? I'm taken. I have a princess. She's mine. And stay away. <laughs> and uh, for that reason, I want those who are getting baptized today, uh, some of the children are uh, over on the other side, but if you're going to get baptized today, we want to celebrate together with you. Would you stand so we can recognize who you are today? Thank you. You can be seated. I, it's a celebration. And uh, man, uh, if you're here for the first time, I'm glad that you are. I'm really glad that you're going to witness this and be with us. And there may be family members of these folks that are getting uh, baptized. And congratulations. I know, that's a, I know that's a big step. It was for my parents, my mom particularly, when I called home and said, I'm getting baptized. I had lived such a crazy life that she had to fly up to Boston where I was and make sure I wasn't joining a cult. And uh, it just so happens that when I went up to Boston, she came up to Boston to check me out. It just so happens there was a man in town who was speaking. His name was Billy Graham. And uh, hmm, I invited her to go with me. 
And uh, guess who went up front to say yes to Christ? And uh, wow, that was a day. That was a day. And so if you're a family member, we're glad you're here. And uh, I know it's meaningful to see someone close to you. Uh, sometimes we think when we get a ring on our finger, that's the end. I think a lot of guys do, at least. They, uh, I've been dealing with marriage for too long. Yeah, some girl said, come on now, come on, bring it now. <laughs> we chase the princess, to the, and we arrive at the castle, and we get to the castle. There she is, and we win the princess over. And I think for a lot of guys, they put the ring on, they made it. This is it. Let me just say, it's the beginning, and uh, it's not the end. And baptism is not the end. Your whole quest in life was not just to find Christ. Sometimes we say that. Man, it's all about getting saved. It's all about having a, you know, getting connected to Christ. It's not. That's the beginning. It's all about finding that beginning because after that, it gets better. It gets deeper. It gets richer. Baptism is the beginning where you know Christ, but then it, what happens after that is so critical. Walking with God, learning God, learning, knowing God, appreciating God, growing in your depth with God. It's all about that. I was thinking about this this week because my computers are growing old. My laptop is five years old. My desktop is seven years old. And I was just thinking because my, I have an, an Apple and a, and a PC, and we won't get into that. That's like me saying something about the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, they're, they're dumb preachers and they're smarter ones. I'm going to try to be smarter. So um, if you're a PC person, wow. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't happen with my Mac, but with my PC, there's an upgrade all the time. And so I'm like, okay, I'll hit the upgrade because it says you're going to restart involuntarily unless, you know, because we're going to give you new updates, new upgrades. And then you upgrade, you know, you say, okay, you upgrade, and you're sitting there, you're waiting, you got a lot of things to do, and you're waiting for it to download the upgrade, and so it finishes upgrade, and you start working on something, the little window pops up and said, upgrades are ready. I'm like, what? I just upgraded. And I thought, aren't there things in life, most things, in fact, that don't get upgraded. I have an old hammer that was my dad's, and it's beat to a pulp. Every time I use it, it gets older. It's got rust on it. It's worn around the edges. There is no hammer upgrade. I can't take it to Home Depot and say, I'd like to upgrade this. I've got to buy another one. I'm thinking about anything. If you leave, if you leave that, uh, that hammer on, the, on a, um, a table, it's going to be the same if you come back to it for five years from now. Some things, most things, deteriorate. If you cut open an apple and you leave it on a table for five years, it's going to be the same. If you, if you leave a Twinkie on the table and you come back five years, well, it'll probably be the same but, um, because of all the preservatives and whatnot. But most things don't even stay the same. They get worse. The computers upgrade. I still have my seven-year-old computer and it's upgrading all the time. Today, what we're going to talk about is this. Christ upgrades us constantly. It is not enough to know about God, because I think we know a lot of things about God. Christ's heart is that we know Him, and we're continually being upgraded.
This is the last week that we're going to talk about the prayer of Jesus. Just if you're coming in for the first time um, and you're hearing about this collection, that we've called it eavesdropping. Because in all the scriptures and all the experiences that we have recorded of Jesus, those that were recorded by the writers of the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only John, who was very close to the heart of Christ, if you read the stories, only Christ is the one, or only John is the one that recorded the only prayer of link that we have. Every other prayer is just a soundbite. My God, my God, why has you, why have you forsaken me? And that's all we did. We've seen week after week how Jesus just went to lonely places. He withdrew from the rest of the crowd, the rest of the gang, in order to pray. And we couldn't even hear what he was saying. But this one prayer, we had the luxury of eavesdropping on what Christ prayed about. He prayed for himself. He said, now, Father, is the time that I will be transferred from this planet into the next. And I'm ready. I've accomplished what you set out in me to accomplish. Then he prays for the people that are right around him. The disciples that were brave enough and courageous enough and humble enough to walk with him for over three years. And he said, I'm praying, God, now that I'm leaving, I'm praying, Father, that you will protect them because they're going to face a lot. And most of them were martyred for their faith, all but one. And then he prays for us. A very mysterious prayer that Christ, I mean, I'm praying for things that are going to happen this afternoon, for, for goodness sake. I'm praying for things that may happen next week. Christ was praying for things that were going to happen 2,000 years later. Because time for Christ is totally different than time for you and I. If I sat here and spoke until 3 o'clock, most of you would be upset and probably I would too. But for Christ, He's not measuring in those terms. And for Him to pray while He was there in 33 AD, for Him to pray for 2011 was nothing. We have to think beyond what we're normally capable of thinking in the supernatural realm. So Jesus began to pray for us. He prayed, first of all, that we would experience intimacy with one another like He experienced with the Father. He said, Father, let them be one like as we are one. A missing, a huge missing ingredient in church today. We come to a certain point in our relationships in church, the big circle, maybe the mid-circle, the small, the, the small group typically, and, and as I say a lot, we miss that small circle of one-to-one. I got to tell you, something is happening in this church, and you're going to hear more and more about it. We're, we're going to begin to film some stories that are happening in the red zone, the small circle of people getting down and dirty, down and in, in, in the, in the heavy lifting of relationships of saying, I met one-to-one. We are meeting one-to-one. We are growing together. This is not just playing church. This is real relationships because we, uh, we heard just last week that only 7%, 7% of all men, Christian men, non-Christian men, doesn't matter, 7% of men have a best friend. Just 7%. That means 93% of us have nobody, no other guy to call when it's 2 a.m. and we're in crisis. We are in desperate need of small circle. And Jesus prayed for exactly that. He also prayed. Then he moved deeper in his prayer. And he said, Father, I'm praying vertically that they will walk in us. 
that they will exist and live and breathe and all their motivations and choices will be in us, you and me, because the world will see that. And that will be the thing that will attract people. I'll say it again. Nobody will be attracted about how much I know about God. That, you know, the old saying goes like this, that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. No one really gives a flip if you've got big theological words that we can rattle off our Christian knees like, hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah, until they see that it's real. And Jesus prayed for that. Jesus then turned His language as we saw last week. He said, let them be one. May they be in us. But then He passionately said to the Father, I want... I want something here. I want them, these people who follow me. When he, when he was speaking to those who are baptized, they're getting baptized today, He was praying for you. He says, I want them to be where I am when post-planet comes. I want them to be in heaven. That's how passionately He's saying these things. He's not like, God, if it's your will. He says, I want them, God. It's not very frequent that we say, I want something. Today we come to the final chapter of this prayer, the final words of Jesus, and He's going to then give to us a commitment. When we pray, um, we, there's so many dimensions of prayer. Sometimes when we pray, I, I try to begin with thanksgiving. Some people begin with praise, or some people begin right and jump in and say, God, I, I need this, I want this. There's no formula. But there's so many different dimensions in prayer. Sometimes we thank God. Sometimes we praise God. Sometimes we ask God to assess our, take inventory of our lives. There's sometimes where we confess once God has taken that inventory and we look into the closet of our life and say, God, I'm, you already know this, but I'm just going to say it out loud because you know the weak links, the weak links in, my, in my life and I want to say that out loud. But in prayer, there are times where we say, God, I will do this. I'm committing to you. I'm agreeing that I'm going to do this. I'm saying out loud to you that you have my agreement, my guarantee that I am going to work hard at what I'm about to say. And Jesus ends his prayer with this kind of commitment of proportions that I don't believe that we can actually comprehend. We begin reading today in the 17th chapter of John's story of Jesus, the final words of Christ's prayer. Jesus prays this, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I want to take note again that he doesn't say the world doesn't know about you. Ask most people in the marketplace today, have you ever heard of Jesus? And they'll look at you like you're nuts because they'll say, of course we have. We know who Jesus is. But do you know him? That's, that's what Jesus is speaking here. And they know that you have sent me. I made you known to them. And here is the prayer of commitment. Jesus is saying, and I will continue to make you known. It wasn't a one-time offer. It wasn't a one-time experience. Oh, great, I've made them known to you. Hasta la vista. I'm out of here. 
I'm going to continue at, at age after age, person after person, generation after generation. I would say even in your life, week after week, day after day, Christ is still on the job. And he said, I will. Father, I commit to it. I agree to it. I guarantee you, I am surrendering to continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself will be uh, in them. When Christ came to the earth, that was one of his primary jobs. John, the very person who recorded this prayer, said these words about Christ when he came into the world and in the very first chapter of John in verse 18. He says this, no one has ever seen God. Now, when I read that line, I'm always reminded of this story that I feel compelled to tell at least once a year about the first grader. I have a first grader at home and he loves to draw. The first grader who was sitting at the table at school and they, it was art time. And everybody was drawing different things. It was kind of free drawing time. And so they, everybody could draw exactly what they wanted to draw. So you know, one little girl was drawing a flower patch. Another little boy was drawing dinosaurs. And Johnny was sitting at the desk. And, and he was drawing. And, and the teacher came over and looked over his shoulder and said, Well, Johnny, what are you drawing? And he says, Well, I'm drawing God. And uh, she kind of you know, smirked and said, You know, Johnny... No one really knows what God looks like. And he rolled his eyes and said, Well, they will in a minute. (laughs) No one has ever seen God except Johnny, obviously. But God, this verse, if you want a verse to chew on the rest of your life, here it is. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side. He's talking about Christ, who is God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side. Okay, I'm just going to meditate on that one a little bit because that's pretty heavy. He has made the Father known. So when Jesus is praying this prayer that we're seeing in John 17, he says, I have made you known to them in a way Christ is saying, my mission on this planet is done. I set out to make you known, not about you, but I wanted them to see how you respond. Because so many times Jesus said, look, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Nobody, trust me, in history, no matter if they're famous or they're not famous, no matter if they're religious or not religious, could make that claim because they were not the one and only who came from the Father's side. I believe it with all my heart. And Christ said this, when you've seen the, me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? You've seen how what is important to me, the priorities. You've seen how I've reached the crowns, I've reached the core, and I've reached the person, the individual. You've seen how I've responded. You've seen how I've reached the marginalized. You've seen the things that tick me off. You've seen the things I can't tolerate. You've seen God when you've seen me. Mission accomplished. But Jesus has bigger plans. It's not just making Him known. I think so many times... We make one of two mistakes at this intersection. And for those that are getting baptized today, it's kind of like looking at a wedding. 
Every time I go to a wedding, man, my, my, uh, I'm rekindled in my own relationship, my own marriage. I don't know if you share that, but I love to go to weddings and, and on the occasions that um, I get to go with my wife. We used to actually work in the, the wedding business. We did 65 weddings a year, so we had a lot of rekindling going on there. So uh, that's what people ask, uh, how do you do it? Well, get in the marriage business. You'll see a lot of weddings, but... But you're sitting there and you think, oh, that's right, that commitment, for better, for worse. Oh, and you, gri- you grip each other's hand and you just go deeper. Today, this message is not only for those who are getting baptized, but for those who are witnessing the baptism. So that you may renew, oh, yeah, that's right. He's still making himself known to us. It's still renewal, but one of the mistakes that people often make is, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and then it stops at that point. It's not Christ's intention at all. It's not about getting in. It's not about getting saved. Just think, what kind of God would that be anyway if that's what, that were His intentions? And I think the second thing, that I will say again, is that we mistake learning about God for learning God. Knowing about God versus knowing God. Now look, I love to study. My guess is I study as much or more than anybody sitting in this room. I study a lot to know more about God. I get that. I think it's important. But my time in the book here, my time in the classroom, is far different than my time in the lab with God. My time in the marketplace speaking God. My time in crisis. Your time in crisis is far different. We're, the church at large is it's not just about having these minor upgrades of, of, of just making ourselves the same and knowing more about God, but actually not knowing God enough to make change. So yesterday we were at a fair, went to a fair with our kids and, uh, at one of the at local schools. And uh, one of our, the, the youngest boy, he loves to do arts and crafts. He loves to paint and draw and whatnot. So, of course, our other one, uh, he went right for the funnel cakes and, you know, the bounce houses and all that stuff. But the younger son went to the arts and crafts. And so they, were, they had a pumpkin thing, you know, where you could buy a pumpkin and then paint the pumpkin. Well, I saw this kid next to mine who used every color in, in the whole palette and just mixed it all up. And now I know that every color in the crayon box, if you add it together, it gets this like sick gray. So you had this gray pumpkin, right? And some, a lot of kids, they, they painted on their like, you know, faces and, you know, just a lot of cats and stuff like that. Well, I brought you a picture to show you what our, our, my son did. He, he took the pumpkin and he basically painted it orange. There's a little close up for you. As if God needed a little help. You know, the, um, the pumpkin orange wasn't quite good enough, God. Let me cut up. You know, help, help you out with that. That's not a real upgrade um, to the pumpkin. And I think sometimes I'm looking at that and thinking, isn't that the way I'm orange? And man, I want to upgrade to orange. And after that, man, I can't wait to upgrade to orange. 
And God is saying, no, man, you're orange. I want a bright blue. I want to upgrade to bright blue. I want to do something much different in your life. Look, we're going to look at a few prayers today. The Apostle Paul, one of the great writers of the New Testament and followers of Jesus, said this about the local church in this city called Ephesus. And he said this, here's what I'm praying for. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. Not know about Him more, but you may know Him better. And when Christ was leaving the planet, He made that commitment to us. He said, look, I'm going to keep, I will continue to make God known to you. He said these words at the end of Matthew 28, and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. Now, if you know me, I can't stop there. You get the concept, right? That Jesus has made this commitment to upgrade us, to continue to make God known, to upgrade and update who God is in our life. But I ha- we have to ask the question, okay, what does that look like? Because that's where the, otherwise we leave church on Sunday morning and think, man, that was, that was a beautiful concept. You can't live with beautiful concepts. You've got to put some traction to it, right? You've you got to put some resin so you get it on the bat so you get a swing. There's got to be a place where you say, oh, now I get what that means about knowing God. Because some of you may say, but I, I, oh, I, don't even, I don't get that concept of what it means to know God. And I, I want to give you a few things to think about. How does God upgrade us? How does he make himself known to us? The first thing is unpleasant. I thought I'd just go ahead and get that one out of the way. It's this. God upgrades us by assessing the things that are not right in our lives. Some, I was having a conversation with someone last week who was wrestling with some things, and I said, look, look, look at me. Of all the things, all the reasons that I believe in God, here's the main reason. When we wrestle with darkness and light, it's so real. When we wrestle with those things, the Apostle Paul who we just read wrestled, why do I do the things I don't want to do? How come I can't do the things I want to do? Oh God, help this wretched man. I love those moments of honesty. See, if we were just these evolved creatures from fish or monkeys, where does that come from? How does that tension between wanting to do what's right and wanting to do what's not do what's wrong and all the where does that how did that get evolved? That doesn't that's not part of the mix. It's supernatural and those things that we wrestle yes and no and yes and no and yes and no. Man, it's evidence for me that we're living in a supernatural world and that there is a God and we need him. End of story. That's the way it rolls for me. I like it simple. And when we're, when we're before God, as we get to know Him, He wants our life to be more beautiful. And in order to do that, He makes known to us progressively, progressively, what those things are that need to be taken out. I'll give you an example. I teach a few piano students. 
And these are advanced. Most of my students are very advanced students. I have some girls that play at a college level. My first job is I'm sitting there assessing these very complex pieces by Beethoven and Bach and Debussy and all that. My first is to listen. And if I say, you know, that should have been an F sharp, that should have been a G flat, that should have been an E double flat, we have to change those notes that are wrong so the piece is more beautiful. You can't sing, Mary had a little lamb, and it sounds beautiful. If I sang all the notes right, it still wouldn't be beautiful. I know that. But you have to, you have to change those notes. And Christ, as he's making himself known, wants our life to play beautifully. And if there are things in there, if there's F sharps that should be F naturals, that may not mean anything to you. If there's wrong notes, God is not saying, I don't like you because you're doing wrong notes. He says, I love you and I want you to be created. I want to make myself known to you so your life plays beautifully. So we're going to make some modifications. How do I know God is making an upgrade in my life? I begin to sense, wow, I need to modify. I need to lay down. I need to quit. I need to start all these different things, see? And I want to say that it's progressive to those of you that are getting baptized today. When I came to Christ, I was in my early 20s. And I came from a, a life of um, living kind of in the fast lane, as they would say. May 2nd, Sunday afternoon, is when I came to Christ. Let me promise you something. May 3rd, I didn't have it all cleaned up. It wasn't all modified. Didn't have my act together. And I was talking to someone before the service for our gathering today. I'm in a wilderness. What do you think God is doing? I said, well, he may be wanting to do something down here 10 miles from in the wilderness. But in order to get to that, he may be chiseling something right here. You see, God has big pictures for us, big images for us, big dreams for us. And when Christ says, I want to make myself known, he's saying, look, I want this to be a progressive one thing building on a next. If you're struggling with 12 things, my guess is that God wants to take care of one of them first. The worst kind of piano teacher is saying you missed 27 notes, your, your pedaling is awful, your balance is terrible, your left hand is too loud, and by the way, you're playing the wrong piece. I mean, that's just too much in one setting. Watch this. In 2 Peter, Peter writes this in chapter 1. He says this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How, Peter? Through our knowledge of Him. Not our knowledge about Him, but getting to know Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these things, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, watch this, you may participate in the jazz. You may participate in the divine nature of God 
and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort, watch the progression, to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brother kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And I'd like you to do all that by this afternoon at 3 o'clock. No, he's saying add and build and layer and add. Whoa, we got to go back to layer two and add and build and layer and add and build and layer. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, watch, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of, not about, our Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to the moment that we accepted Christ, but if anyone does not have them, He's nearsighted, blind, forgotten that he's been cleansed from past sins. Watch. As we are getting an upgrade from God, he's revealing things that are getting in the way of knowing him. You see, today's obedience leads to tomorrow's revelation. Can I say that again? Today's obedience. My my, today, when I say, okay, God, I'm getting that. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's unfaithfulness. Maybe it's subtle. Maybe it's just, I'm thinking too highly of myself. Maybe I'm lazy. Maybe I'm not, I'm not obeying God in some of the smallest details of my life. Maybe I'm not even being a good manager of every breath that I take during the day. Maybe I'm wasting the whole day and I'm watching Judge Judy all day. Nothing against Judge Judy. But, you know, maybe I'm just sitting... Okay, maybe there is something to get... No, I'm just kidding. You know, these are small things that God throughout the time has said, Steve, dude, you're wasting your time. No, you're wasting my time. You're holding too tightly to my resources. And the moment I say, okay, God, I'm getting the upgrade. I'm dropping it. I'm restarting it. Whatever it is, it's like God saying, okay, great. We're going to take a step now to the next level. And I get to know him more. Make sense? Watch this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of lightness consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out, watch, find out what pleases the Lord. If you got a bad taste in your mouth about obedience, can I, can I attempt to change that? Let's say you got a habit, and you're so in an angst that God would even touch that. He's only doing it to upgrade you. He's only coming to update himself in you. Like, wow, once I dropped that, man, I got to experience God in a whole different light. I have a piano student I told you about. Actually, she's a former piano student for a reason. Um, And she would miss these notes over and over and over. And she started getting an attitude. She was a high schooler. And 
And uh, she would play, and, and she, she was a fun personality, but she would play, and dun, 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 gang, gong. I'm going with that, dun, 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 I'm going with that one too, dun. and every time she hit a wrong note, she said, I'm going with that. And there are times in our life when we know that we're not in rhythm with God's upgrade, and we say, I'm just going to go with that. All I would say to you is be prepared to paint your orange pumpkin orange. It's not an upgrade. It's not an upgrade. You get the picture? The second thing I want to, I think that the way that Christ begins to change our lives is priorities. Certain things in our lives at certain times were so important. When I was in middle school, patches on jeans were so cool. And my mother and I went back and forth, and I don't know what was so evil about patches on jeans to this day, but I went out and bought me some anyway. And uh, my mom was in the hospital, and while she was in the hospital, um, I put some patches on my jeans. Isn't that mean? Um, and, and, I, and what got meaner was I walked in the hospital room with my jeans, with my patches, and uh, I'm like, hey, Mom, how's it going? I knew what I was doing. <laughs> Cats away, mice is playing, you know, so um, mice are playing. And I'm like, hey, check it out. Didn't go real well. <clears throat> I never knew a sick person could get that mad. But um, <laughs> now I'm thinking, what was so important about those, that pat, those patches? Isn't that funny? If you look back on your life, certain things are so important to us. And as we grow up, things change. You know, a second way how you know God is upgrading your life? Your priorities change. That's how you look and think, wow, I think God is changing me from orange to a different shade of blue. Because the things I used to love and want to hold on to, they're gone. We, we read about this in Colossians 1, chapter, uh, in chapter 1, verse 9. Since the day we heard about you, Paul is praying again. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we pray this. Why? In order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It's all about priority change. The disciples walk with Jesus, and the reason that their lives were changed from fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors to fully devoted and passionate followers of Christ as they got close to Him. You cannot experience an upgrade without getting close. Finally, let me say this to you. Here's the third thing and final thing I want to say. We know that there is an upgrade when we begin to experience God off the page. Off the page. See, we come to church or you open your Bible and listen to a podcast and, and we hear about the Red Sea. But when you are in your own personal Red Sea, when you're facing what looks like an insurmountable wall, and now you experience the power of and the faithfulness of God in those moments, then you begin to know God rather than just know about God. When you are being tossed off the ship like Jonah did and rejected, and you feel rejected, 
and then God embraces you in those moments, God is upgrading your life. When you're in a squeeze, you now know God's faithfulness. When you have stepped off the line, you've blown it, you've screwed it up, and you, went to, you go back to step on the line, you say, God, I can't even look to heaven right now. I can't even lift my eyes to see you. I'm not even worthy to be here praying to you. And you sense the, those arms around you like the arms of the prodigal son's father, you no longer know about mercy. You know mercy. And there's a huge, huge difference. When you are alone, you know the enveloping presence of God, not you just know about it. When you're grieving, and this strange sense of joy comes from no man, no woman, no child, no textbook, no TV preacher, no live preacher, but it comes from the inside out and the joy of the Lord becomes your strength and you think, what is that? When my dad was killed on Halloween night in a car accident and I was just on the floor, couldn't even stand, I didn't have the human strength to stand and the presence of God when I didn't even want it. God, I'm so sad you can leave me alone right now. And the joy of Christ that comes up within us and it becomes your only strength. You know God. Because there's a huge difference about reading about it and about experiencing it. And thank God that Jesus gives a rip about us enough that at the end of his prayer, he said, I will continue to make you known. Oh, thank God he's not a religious leader who is laying in some tomb, some box, cremated, thrown in the ocean, six feet under, because that prayer would be ridiculous. In all respect to other religions, that prayer is meaningless. I will make you known to them after I'm dead. Really? How are you going to do that? Because the Christ I serve rose from the dead and he was seen by 500 people all at the same time, at the time of the writing, most of whom were still alive. I can believe in a Christ like that. Not only that, I know God. I know God. How about you? Take note, I didn't ask, do you know about God? Because I think a lot of people know about God, but perhaps don't know Him. I would pray the same thing for you as Paul did in Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Christians to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep, how wide, how long, how high, how deep, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge surpasses book knowledge. It goes beyond what you can read in a book that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. There it is. God is on your side. Christ is on your side. He's like, I love them so much in 2011. Mind-blowing that I'm praying that I will continue. I commit to continue to make the great God of this universe known. I'm fairly passionate about that. It's basically the only real thing you've got to hold on to in this lifetime. Don't mean to burst your bubble. I close with this. Jesus began this prayer. See, we sometimes think eternity as a destination, a place, a... uh, uh, with gates and... I don't know where we got the pearly gates from and all that stuff. But Jesus defines it when he begins this very prayer. So we're going to go back to the very beginning of this prayer when we close today. Father, the time has come. Jesus prays. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life. Now we ought to lean up. Really? This is eternal life? He's about to give us a definition. This is eternal life, that you may know Him. That's it. The one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Don't leave the planet. Don't leave this room. I would even encourage you and challenge you. And I'm not—I don't want to sound like a TV preacher because I don't like—I don't like the clicheish approach. But what I am saying to you is, look inside your, take inventory of your life, and say, you know, I think I just know about God, but I'm not sure that I know Him. I'm not sure that I've ever said, Christ, come in, Christ. Come in. Those who are being baptized today, and we met with every single person who's getting baptized one to one, and we asked them this question Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, of all the things we've seen that Jesus prayed about today, God. Perhaps this is the thing that encourages us the most. Christ, you were here on earth to make known the Father. But today in this prayer, God, we realize your job is still going on. Even though you spent a speck of time on earth, 30-some years, that speck of time in, in regards to eternity seems so minute. So it's good to know, God, 
It's good to know Christ, that you can offer something in this moment that no other religious leader could offer to us. And so, Father, I'm praying now in this room that there will be those who would say, I only know about God, but I want to know Him. Come in Christ. Bring your forgiving power. Let my past be erased and washed by the unparalleled blood that was shed on the cross. Let me experience the living power that was that raised Christ from the dead. And let me realize that only this prayer right now of come in Christ is possible because Jesus defied death, is alive and working. Throughout the course of this prayer, studying this prayer, we've invited those in this room to simply, as every eye is closed and we're praying, in a, in a moment of a faith decision, a decision of saying, I, want, I don't even understand it all, but I, I want Christ inside. I want to know God. You may have been in church one week, or you may have been one decade or two decades, and I only know about God, but I want to know Him. I want to accept Christ. I want Christ to come in. As we're in this mode of prayer, Is there anyone, every week we've had someone who would just put a hand up and say, I want to know Christ. Is that you this morning? Would you raise a hand if if that is you and and you can put it right back down. And I'm going to pray for you. And there are times where you just want to just visibly say before God, that's me. I want you to see my hand. Is there anyone in this room this morning? that would say, I, I want to just raise my hand in this personal moment of prayer. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? I want Christ inside. We're just going to pause for a moment. Anyone else? Father, thank you for this incredible promise from Jesus. And now, God, we witness those who have said yes to you. We've, we, God, we're, we'll experience a surrender and a commitment to follow you. And we're going to celebrate that, God. And so thank you, that Jesus, that you are risen from the dead. And when you say, I will continue to make the Father known that that is possible. We love you today, God. Thanks for upgrading our life, even when it's hard, even when you're pointing out things in our life that you want to modify, change, do away with, upgrade. Even when our priorities are being changed from things that we've held on to so tightly, God, we, we want to give them up so we get the next step of revelation of who you are. And finally, God, in our own valleys of the shadow of death, in our own moments where we face the Red Sea, or a barren, the loneliness of a barren wilderness, God, or on the top of a mountain, 
there's where we get to know you. So we love you today, God, and we just praise you. Amen. Amen.